Um, so I'm Edson, come the revolution. Um, I, we, we heard from Usain and Cassie uh, quite a while ago, and uh, I saw a screener for the film. And immediately, through my um, involvement with the Black Lives Matter group in Bristol, and also with working with other groups in Bristol, I could see the relevance for us in the city and thought it was of real importance that we brought this film within us, to us in this year. Um, so I'm glad to say I've been joined by poet Vanessa Kasulu to my left, and Usaid Yunus, also of the director of the film, and Elizabeth Mizon of Bristol Radical Film Festival and filmmaker in her own right, um, on my right, and Cassie Paulus. So we're going to have a chat, basically. Um, we're kind of an intimate group, right? So we're going to have a chat. Um, but first, I'd like to ask the filmmakers some questions to get some feedback from the other members of the panel. Uh, a couple of things which I think some of you would have heard me say before. If you're bored by it, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. Um, this is not a me and you conversation. So when asking a question to the panel, could you just ask one question? Thank you. And also, uh, if you're making a comment, if you could keep it concise. Thank you. So uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to try and keep myself quiet, actually, and just let everybody else speak. But I'd like to start by asking you, Said and Cassie, a little bit about your relationship coming together to make this film. And also, um, tell us about your journey to make it, because it's, it's quite an intimate access to these two groups that you've captured. I don't know who wants to go first. I'll go first. Uh, can you hear me? All right. Yeah. Um, so Generation Revolution was uh, really interesting because actually in terms of the relationship between myself and Asaid and the groups, it, uh, we kind of saw this as a project that we would use to get to know each other because actually before Generation Revolution, uh, we didn't really know each other that well. Uh, we'd met, um, we worked on a, on a small video for Ceasefire Magazine. I don't know if any of you know Ceasefire Magazine. Uh, and we were talking uh, about our aspirations, we were also talking about politics and what we wanted to do with film and film as uh, a really potent uh, political tool. Uh, and we saw that there was lots of really interesting stuff going on uh, within the black and brown communities in London really. Um, and we kind of wanted to, to make a document of what was going on. Uh, I think uh, in the first instance we wanted to use it um, as kind of something that we could challenge a lot of the narratives uh, that surround uh, black and brown people uh, in the UK and in London. Uh, and we also wanted to make something that we could use to show other young people, uh, to kind of encourage them to, to, to think about what they can do in terms of uh, radical politics, but also in terms of community activism. Uh, initially, Generation Revolution was a 10 minute thing. Um, that kind of morphed into a full 70 minute feature length. Uh, and that was purely because I think um, the people that were following and the stories that were kind of unfolding uh, were, were kind of um, were kind of complex uh, and they were rich and we felt that a lot of the characters were really uh, engaging, really amazing. What was the time period that this covers? Uh, so we started filming in uh, 2014, at the end of 2014. Uh, the bulk of the filming was in 2015 and we shot some of the stuff that you see at the end of the film uh, obviously in 2016, uh, not, that, not that long ago really. So two years filming Generation Revolution, start to end. Up to the minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> said? would you like to add? Uh, I think Cassie's covered off a lot of it. Um, 
Do you have any other questions in the same vein? <laughs> <laughs> I guess in some ways, were you, uh, were you activists yourselves at the time as well? So were you involved with these groups uh, in any way as participants, as members? Yeah, so, I, think, so. I think that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think because the answer is yes, we, we both are sort of activist filmmakers, if you like. And so I think one of the things, and often people ask about the challenges uh, in making this, and one of them, I think, is the fact that um, we sort of had to distinguish ourselves as filmmakers and as activists. So we weren't members of the groups. Um, I certainly have a background in activism. I know Cassie does too. Um, but with this, we feel like Generation Revolution, that's our activism. So we're taking it to communities, we're screening to people, having these kind of conversations, and trying to inspire people to do that, uh, to get involved in activism. Um, but with these particular groups, we were very adamant and very clear that, look, we're not going to join the group. We are here to document what you're doing. We believe in your aspirations. We believe in the vision that you have, and we share that. Um, but we really had to draw that line and make it clear so that we could be as objective as we have been in Generation Revolution. And in some ways, I guess there's a million things to say about, for both of you, seeing the arc of what happens, which I guess you didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. um, how did you feel when you saw things, dare I say, unravel? To uh, that, was, that was a massive point of contention, uh, of contention I think, uh, between us, because we really were racking our brains about how we were going to deal with the story of the Black Revs and the Black Revs unraveling, uh, really because initially Generation Revolution, as I said before, was kind of, uh, it was a tool. We saw it as something that we could show young people and be like, look, these guys are doing really amazing things, but they're just normal people. You can do it too. Um, and we felt that the breakdown of the group kind of felt, um, kind of, fell into some of the right-wing narratives of, oh, they're disorganized and there's always infighting and there's all this kind of stuff going on. And actually, I think we took a step back and, we're, and we were like, well, if we don't show uh, some of this stuff, we're really just making a polemic. And there being a breakdown in the groups that you see on the, on the screen, it doesn't negate the necessity of the work that they're doing or the validity of their activism. Uh, actually, I think um, in showing that kind of stuff, it, it really added nuance to the story and also it was really real uh, we were really wary of showing a story that was fair um, rather than being something that had been like overly crafted to say something that we wanted to say and I think that actually by having um, people express their politics but also seeing some of the more human uh, nuances and richness of, of, of these experiences it, it gives it more credibility because actually activism isn't easy um, we certainly think that it's something that's really valuable uh, but I think we'd be lying if we said that it was just uh, all peach and rosy and you just like one day you wake up and you're like I've had enough and I go out into the streets and I organize with people and it's all going to be great and the world's going to be changed in two years time. Um, it's not that easy, but it doesn't make it any less valuable. Thank you. Yes, I, I, mean, I, I thought it was a really nuanced portrait. Liz, um, Elizabeth, <laughs> of familiarity. <laughs> um, so you've been an activist, you've been involved in various different campaigns, um, in, and many that I don't know of. How does this speak to your experience? I mean, uh, one thing that I was going to pick up on actually was the um, unravelling of the group and the kind of tensions in the group. And I found that when I was watching it, it was one of the things that was most valuable to me, because I saw 
the experience that I've had in a lot of ways. And I think if you're doing activism, and if, well, if you're involved in any group, really, there's always going to be tensions and there's always going to be situations where, um, you know, egos or just disagreements get in the way of what you're trying to do. And you might come across and experience that, but you might also be the person who has the ego that's getting in the way of what you want to do, you know. So it was just kind of nice to see that. I say nice, but, you know, it was valuable to me, actually, to be able to see that. And to, to go, yeah, okay, that's going to happen, and you see it happening. And actually to see, um, you know, it was a shame that it happened, but then to see the majority of the group going, this is what we want to do, and actually we're going to stick together and we're going to carry on working, you know, was, was to go, was, was something that allowed me to go, yeah, okay, that's the answer, is you just carry on, you know, with the people that you want to work with, and sometimes that's the way that it's got to be. Mm. Are you a radical or a revolutionary? <laughs> um, yes and no to both, I think. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm part of the Bristol Radical Film Festival and also the Radical Film Network. Um, and the word radical is something that we've uh, debated a lot, had to debate a lot. People bring it up all the time. Um, we've been asked by people that might that wanted to at some point give us money to drop the name um, and we decided not to do that and we're still broke um, and you know it's it's a really difficult thing and we come across it all the time I know what my version of radical means um, other people have different versions I think it just means changing things from the foundation and making something better and unfortunately I don't have much more than that you know to, to give as a definition but everyone's got their own definition and I think Another thing that the film did brilliantly was talking about the role of violence, and I also don't have an answer for that. You know, it's, it's something that needs to just be constantly on the table and debated and considered. Thank you. Vanessa, um, I asked you at quite late notice whether you were available, and I know you had some thoughts about being able to claim the name or the mantle of activist, but I wondered just if you could reflect on that, um, your work as a poet, in the context of the film as well. It was really interesting to watch this film, not really knowing what to expect in terms of the angles that were going to be covered or, or what its overall intentions were. Um, and I think you both did a brilliant job of, of being as objective um, and as various in the perspectives you depicted as you could have been within you know 70 minutes. And I really felt akin with, um, was it Tej? I don't know how you pronounce it. Tej, yeah. Yeah. Um, her, 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 her inner monologue of debating, you know, do, do, the, do the ends justify the means? And, you know, what is the ultimate end goal when you're out there protesting? Is it about the visibility? Is it about raising awareness? Or is there more to be said for the grassroots elements of going out and, and helping people, giving them the aid packages or, or um, doing things which we might call more charitable efforts. Um, and I think it's difficult when you look at the a typical image of an activist, i.e. a young, angry person out on the streets with a placard. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's, there's, there's power and validity in that. Or an older but, person. Huh? Or, or an, an older, older person. But I think there is this stereotype that most activists are young, over-idealistic students waving slogans and not really thinking about, you know, how complicated things really are. And um, I don't believe in that, but I do believe that activism 
having watched that and reflected in this um, 70 minutes, that it is much more of a spectrum than we give it credit for. And the term activism doesn't have to be as daunting as it might seem. So I've never claimed it for myself because I felt that as an artist, that, that you know, doing poems and, and, and telling stories to people was, you know, political in a sense, but wasn't being out there on the front lines, as it were. But as you say, you know, creating film, creating narratives and, and putting them out there um, to as many different types of people as possible, yeah, that, that's an activism of sorts. Um, and you can get into the semantics of, you know, does it matter if you call yourself an activist? You know, is it about doing the thing rather than getting caught up in, you know, whether or not you're a label or not? Um, and, you know, that goes across the board with feminism and, you know, all other things. But, yeah, I, I, I think I'm more willing to claim the idea of activism, if not the title. I'm not going to put it in my bio just yet. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was a very interesting, thought-provoking thing for me as an individual to reflect on as I watched the film. Perhaps it's also about transformation, and I think some of your work is definitely transformative in how it lands on people. I, what's really difficult is, very recently, my stuff has been more overt in trying to create some sense of shift or discomfort. I mean, I'm, I'm quite unique in that, as a, as, as, a, as a black person, as a person of color, um, I get invited into white, often middle-class, privileged spaces a lot. I'm kind of what you, what you could call the gateway drug, do you know what I mean? I'm black, but I'm not too black. Um, you know, I speak a certain way, I've had a certain education. Um, so what I've realized is I have a quite unique position in that I can bring narratives that would make your average white middle-class person quite uncomfortable into these spaces where they might not be expecting them. And um, now that I've realized that, I really try to, to, to do that more. Um, but what I always try and do is, I try not to be didactic. I think it's very easy to be forthright with your message, but that doesn't acknowledge how difficult things are in our brains and, and how we all have our own shortcomings and, and hypocrisies and contradictions. And I think it's important to acknowledge that as a human and as an activist, um, to not worship the, the, the pillar that you could put on as, as, a, as a spokesperson and start to think that you are inalienably right as I think we started to see here, um, you know, having a, having a microphone, having a platform, it's a beautiful thing, but it can be quite a corrupting thing to one's ego if you get too caught up in the idea that you have this voice um, that, is, that, is, that is superior and the loudest and the most assertive and important. So you've got to weigh that up and be careful with that power you've been given. Mm. I think that's a really great note to move on from, especially given in mind context of it doesn't invalidate the activism itself as suggested by Cassie. Um, over to you guys, what questions? If you have questions for specific members or generally, then just let us know. Thank you. And Ben has got a roving mic. Thank you. A couple of hands at the back and then one on the second row from the back. Just start by saying congratulations on the film. I thought it was fantastic. Really powerful viewing and like it was just said really welcomed that the narrative with with Tej um, and her kind of questioning and 
I've conversations a day with um, I work in academia and I like to still think I'm an activist in academia well I'm not, I'm not other people to judge but uh, conversation about that quiet activism as she calls it you know what I mean the, the activism that happens in the everyday spaces and not just with the placard and stuff but I just thought it was a fantastic film um, interested in when you know looking at the black revs and the unraveling and as a filmmaker I'm a filmmaker also when you build a relationship with people that you make films about you know in documentary genre so just interested in the dynamics of making the film but then also showing that kind of messiness and the unraveling and the kind of the conflicts that you can have as a filmmaker you know in terms of um uh, you know, showing that that messy side, if you like, you know. So just interested in how that relationship went with some of the people, particularly with um, what was his name, Arnie. Um, yeah, particularly with that kind of relationship. So who did you have relationships going into the film, but then who did you have strong bonds with going out of the film? If that kind of makes sense. Good uh, question. Um, I think um, you sort of said it there in your in your question partly, which is where do your allegiances lie? And I think as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, you have to say that your allegiance lies with the story rather than with any individuals um, who you're documenting or following. Um, it would be a very different film, I think, if it was told from, you know, dictated by the people in the film. Um, and, you know, it's actually interesting because we very much actually started with Arnie. He was our first person um, for quite a long time, actually. And uh, we followed him. And we were like, where are the other members? Can we meet people? Um, and we eventually, eventually people came into the group and we, we met another group, our movement as well. Um, it's hard to say how things ended. I think, um, you know, we're still in touch with a lot of people in the groups. Um, we showed them all the film before. Well, actually Arnie didn't come, but he was invited. Um, but we showed everybody the film, to, you know, before it was premiered anywhere. Um, and we had a great sort of range of conversation, but I think like my main kind of answer to that really is that the allegiance has always been with the story. We think that this story is really important, and I think sometimes you need to have a bit of distance from it to really see that kind of just where the story really is. I think if you're a character in a film like this, it can be quite difficult to see it from an outsider's perspective. Cassie, any, any addition? <laughs> Liz, I was wondering, in terms of your filmmaking, if this is something, if it's some of what um, Sean has touched upon, in terms of when you make a documentary and relationships change, um, is that something that you've experienced? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've certainly lost touch with people um, that I've made films with and had similar instances of people's politics changing and things like that um, I think the answer is no really mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't you know I've, I've not interviewed anybody and then sort of um, you know had to kind of uh, you know I've not fallen out with anyone or anything like that but certainly um, you spend a lot of time with people when you're interviewing them or following them or whatever and um, yeah and then you know like a lot of relationships you kind of grow a bit more distant or whatever but I don't think I'm on bad terms with anyone. <laughs> if that yet. was the question, I'm not sure what the question was. Okay, um, question from the gentleman on the second row from the back. That's you? Yeah. Sorry, we're recording. I should say this, sorry. We are recording, so if we could use the mic. 
Is everyone okay with the fact that this is being recorded? Just audio recording. Just an audio <laughs> recording. It's not being, I should have told you before, it's not yeah. being passed on to any secret service organizations, honestly. It's just about the uh, scale of the uh, group's activities. Is it only in London or? Um, so, our movement actually had uh, a Birmingham branch, because uh, a few, so our movement and the London Black Revs at the time, slash Black Dissidents, uh, they were based in London, but I think a lot of the members were from different parts of the UK, but actually different parts uh, of the world as well. Uh, I know Black Revs had American members, uh, our movement had me uh, members from across the UK as well. So they had a, a Birmingham branch, and the Birmingham branch actually were the ones who uh, kind of spearheaded the um, homeless solidarity actions. So where they were giving out the packages to the homeless people, that was actually started in Birmingham, and then that was brought down to, to London. Uh, but by and large, for the, for the filming, uh, we filmed everything in, in, in London, and we didn't get a chance to actually record some of the activities that were going on outside of the city, unfortunately. Thank you. I should just add that um, l earlier, la late last year, that um, Arnie did come to a screening of the story of Michael X, which was something which was put on by um, Come the Revolution in partnership with the Watershed. So we've, we've met Arnie. But certainly this documentary gave a real context to uh, some of the things that Arnie was saying at the time, which from the Bristol point of view, we weren't aware of. So thank you for that. Um, any other questions? Sorry, just can I ask um, for you, what is it a revolution? What is revolution, guys? Yeah. If you want to have a, have a... Are we going to have a pregnant yeah, pause while we think? One by one. No, I'm not too sure. I don't want to... I don't want to... I don't Thank you, Vanessa. No, I don't want to think aloud. I want a moment to... We love you thinking aloud. Okay. <laughs> give, me, give, me, give me some time. Well, I mean, I think as far as the title of the film, which is obviously we chose that, so maybe we should answer that. Um, we very much believe in a sort of systemic change. And I think systemic change involves fundamental shift. It involves sometimes overturning systems. I think that's where the term revolution comes from. And in terms of generation, well, we very much see it as an aspirational title. So sure, like, you know, you see the film, you're like, oh, these young people have faults, they, they, they make mistakes, they're not perfect, they're not the perfect generation. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that we could actually be the, gener the revolution. You know, we, this generation could very much be the one to bring about change, and we want that to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we set out to make this film again, you know, to try and motivate people, particularly young people of color, to say that, look, there are people just like you, you know, who live similar lives, may look like you, live in similar places like you, and yet they are <clears throat> going out into the streets to try and affect some systemic change. They're not just trying to help people because they think it's a nice thing to do. They all have an ideology. They have an, a belief in something which means that, as a society, we could all live better, we could live more equally. And I think for that to happen, a lot of them believe in a, in a revolution. I've Thank had you. a bit of a think okay. now. <laughs> um, so I've made, I've made some coherence of the thought soup in my brain. And what I have come up with is the term revolution has an immediacy to it that I think can be quite overwhelming. 
So when I hear the term revolution, I think of a table being upturned like that. Like, and um, I, I think we, I think we realise, you know, when we look through history, the big shifts that have happened, we can look back on them in hindsight, and it can seem like things progressed fairly quickly, or you know, we got there in the end. Um, but when you're in something, it can feel like things are too slow. Um, and not immediate enough, not worthy of the term revolution. Um, but I think, uh, you know, if we have, with enough time, we'll be able to look back on this time, which we consider to be quite apathetic because of the age of the internet and armchair activism and all of this. I still think this will be looked back, we'll look back on this time and see this as a real shift in attitudes. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to change le legislation and to change um, these structural things, but I think with the age of the internet, we've really been able to shift attitudes, and I think that's a really powerful thing, and has happened fairly quickly. I've only been on the planet 25 years, and the shift from the world I was in as a child and the world I'm in now, in terms of how people think and feel about the oppressed, I think has come on leaps and bounds. Um, so, yeah, revolution, I don't know, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's it's, it's a lot more of a gradual thing than the word suggests, I think, but I do think, I do think we're in one. I do think we're in one right now. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I think there's a lot in what you say, which I think many people might want to um, pick up on, but I want to move on to Cassie first and Liz's response to that. Mm. What is revolution? Um, I think I'd, I'd kind of like to echo what uh, you've both been saying, really. Um, I think I have been saying for quite a long time that we kind of lionized the, the 1960s, uh, the 70s, as a period of great change, of great radical activism, uh, of great thought as well. I think we really do a disservice when we don't actually look at this period in time as like a revolutionary period as well. Because um, obviously um, we've had the financial crisis, which was in and of itself uh, a massive upturning. Uh, I think that the effects of it were um, disastrous in certain communities. And, and I think that in certain other ways, they weren't as, um, the effects weren't as big and strong as people would have expected in the sense that we didn't see um, the, by you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we haven't seen the downfall of the um, of the system of global capitalism, for example. But I think in that there was definitely this uh, kernel that group. So we've seen um, the Occupy movement that has come and gone. But I think that there have been a lot of lessons learnt from that movement in terms of us recognizing that there is a thirst for that kind of activism, but also that people are willing to be organized and willing to go out in the streets and willing to think about uh, new ways in which we can change the world. Um, for me, uh, especially with regards to the people that we're following, uh, the idea of organizing around uh, intersectional feminism, um, seeing the world through an intersectional lens, uh, has been quite revolutionary, and I think it is really revolutionary. So we're not just thinking in terms of race as something that is uh, to be like hermetically sealed, and then we've got gender, and then we've got class, and then we've got ideas around heteronormativity. We actually need to recognize that everything uh, needs to be thought about and approached, uh, because we have to look beyond our own experience and look beyond the, the things that are only affecting us. So for example, uh, as a black man, as a straight black man, I, I'm only thinking about, for example, police brutality, and not thinking about the ways in which patriarchy is affecting women in general, but also specifically black women. I think that the, um, 
rhetorical advances that we've seen in the past few few years uh, are part of a revolutionary movement because um, I do genuinely think that people were not necessarily thinking along those lines, um, say, 30 years ago. Um, and obviously, as you were saying, it is a process. Um, I don't know if this, is the, this isn't the, the end of it all, but I do think that there is a lot of really amazing things that I've personally learned um, and that people of our generation uh, have learned and are now coming to put into practice. And um, I've been kind of following uh, the goings on in the, in the financial markets, uh, in the economics. I did a business degree. Uh, and I do think that there is another it's controversial, I guess, to a certain extent. But I do think that there is another crash coming. Um, that, I think, um, will lay certain conditions for uh, a more traditional kind of revolution. Uh, and hopefully, we'll be using the tools that we have kind of been perfecting and been learning about uh, for good use. Thank, Thank you. you. Big one. <laughs> I would just add um, Frederick Douglass, a 19th century abolitionist and feminist. So, um, some old fart, intersectional. Liz? I mean, I just want to echo everyone's echoes, really. Um, I don't have a huge amount to add to that, really. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that there's another crash coming, and I think that that's going to kind of precipitate something a bit more immediate. But like Vanessa was saying, and like Tay was saying in the film, I think it's a case of, like, getting getting your head around all of the different types of oppression and working out where you sit in those different types of oppression and just constantly, gradually trying to become, you know, less a part of that and moving towards something that works because what we've got at the moment doesn't work. Um, yeah. I think there was I mean, some more questions. Yeah, there's one thing I just wanted to, to just throw out and I guess as one of the things perhaps uh, in terms of, we talk about generation revolution, and certainly I think the USP of this moment of activism by younger people is a recognition of intersectional struggle. But I guess also that one might also see, we see similar dynamics to what happened with 80s activism as well. Uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things which uh, I guess for me was so insightful about this documentary and why I think it's quite an important warning. Um, I don't know, maybe that's just a comment. Um, I, I think that's a, a really interesting and important point for us. Um, because funnily enough, I think as filmmakers, well, I'll, I'll speak for myself, and I think to some extent this applies to Asaid as well, um, we knew a lot about what was going on in the 60s. Uh, we knew a lot about what was going on in the 60s in the US, less so in the UK. We didn't know too much about what was going on in the 1980s in this country. Um, so there was, there are, Film works, uh, for example, Black Audio Film Collective, uh, Chedo, Sankofa, there are a few things that you can kind of refer to with regards to activism, but also the conditions of life uh, for black Britons in the, in the 1980s. Uh, but even, those that, even though those existed, they were kind of hard to, uh, to kind of access, really. Uh, you'd have to go to the BFI, uh, to their vaults uh, by the South Bank. Obviously, if you live in Bristol, that's not necessarily that easy to do. Uh, I was living in Birmingham at the time. It was we get on the easy. train. It's, it's but, dysfunctional, yeah, but, but we do it. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, for example, we paid, <laughs> we paid £90 for our tickets today. That's not necessarily given to anyone. Um, <laughs> um, but so the point is kind of that for us it was really important looking forward into the future that there were resources that people could look to uh, to kind of share in the things that we've learned from organizing in 2014, 2016. Because I do think that we have a duty um, 
to our, to our children, to our grandchildren, um, to show them what life is like now, but also for, to, to kind of share in some of this communal knowledge that mm -hmm. we've gained. A uh, question oh, on... Please, lady has the mic. Oh, okay. Uh, lady with the mic. Hi. Um, really bloody great film. Um, I was really interested, like, the, the title, obviously, Generation Revolution, like, I went to a really big march in Brixton in August, 1st of August, the Reparations March, um, and I was interested in, I suppose, like, you had to be really specific about what you included in the documentary, but that was just, like, you know, thousands of people, thousands of black people marching through Brixton to the House of Parliament, and it happens every year, and that feels like a really big part of this movement, and I suppose I wondered why, that, that, but it's also run by by not this younger generation, it's, it's a completely different generation. And I, I'm not very eloquently explaining my question, but it's around like how those two generations mix, and like I'm really interested in intergenerational activism and how, yeah, what, yeah. So that's my uneloquent question, yes, something like that. Um, so I, yeah, the question of intergenerational activism has been broached pretty much every time we've screened it, or most times we've screened the film. And I think it's because people do see a lot of young activists, and particularly people from the older generation, do think, well, actually, we know plenty of people who are doing this kind of stuff. Um, I think part of the answer to that question is actually we wanted to focus the film on a particular generation, but also on particular groups. I think oftentimes when you do a study, it's, off, it's, it's about honing in on the narratives so you say, okay, these are the people we're going to follow and we're going to spend time with them and we're going to learn about their experiences. So rather than trying to take a sort of wide casting net, um, we focused on these two particular groups, which then became three, and sort of followed their journeys. And in the journey, I think, is where the story is and that's where the, the lessons are learned. So it's absolutely true that I think intergenerational activism is really important. And I think one of the things we're trying to do with this film is, is to broach that conversation too. Um, so we, we make reference to resources from sort of the older generation. There are groups who work intergenerationally. Um, for example, the Ubele Initiative, we know one in, in London, um, who very much focus that um, or focus on that. But I do also think that there is a lacking too. So in some conversations that we've had in other cities, for example, in Birmingham, um, one of the members of the panel there was saying that they struggled a great deal to access existing groups, existing groups which organized around black issues, for example, um, simply because they were stuck in their ways. And so I think that there is a sort of lesson here, which is that these groups are very autonomous, they, they form themselves, they don't rely on ideology f being passed down through a generational structure, they very much are lateral, they, <clears throat> they've learned from other activists around the world, you know, using social media, for example. So it's, it's very different. And I think that, again, there's something revolutionary in that, too. Did anybody else want to reflect on that? Intergenerational activism. I mean, in some ways, I mean, perhaps a question for Vanessa. I mean, how do, were you aware of older, activist movements and if so did you relate to them uh, again this is this is me being hesitant to call myself an activist in that traditional sense um, so I can't talk about 
the relativity of that um, as an issue. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, not to create unnecessary division, but, you know, things are different. We have different concerns. We have different ways of life. We're confronting unique issues to us as young people. Um, and the old generation can be sympathetic to that. It can it can contain echoes of things that have already been, like most things do. Um, society is cyclical. We kind of just get into the same shit again and again. So it's not as if the older generation don't have information and insight for us. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, you know, and it's always been that way. Young people come forward and deal with their, their problems within society in their own unique way and with the tools that have been at their disposal by virtue of being in a generation that is the most pertinent and and present so yeah I, I don't I don't know how that that works like I was talking to Cleo who is um a, an activist based in Bristol and she was talking about how there are a lot of older activists within um um the black sort of not the Black Lives Matter movement but you know within movements to do with eradicating racism that have a lot of issues with how Black Lives Matter have been going about their business, their tactics, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, you know, for, for, for every person that wants to unite and for everybody to come together and, and, and share ideas, there are 10 people that are like, well, I don't like the way you do things. You know, we didn't do it like that. And blah, blah, blah. so it is difficult, you know, it, you can't have five people in a room to agree on something, never mind like people across generations and, and, and class and race and gender, it's, it's difficult. So um, I don't have personal experience of it, but that is my musing on that as an issue. I'm gonna refrain from making a comment because I think I'll be here all day. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, certainly one of the things which uh, really struck me with the Black Lives Matter manifestation in Bristol was that it was young people led with um, older activists participating. Um, and in many ways, it felt like a movement had been energized by young people, but had taken also on the voices of older people that I think in many ways were kind of stunned that there was still this energy for activism still available within the black community. And I say in particular within the black community. Um, can we, so, uh, women in the middle row. Yes. Uh, <laughs> There's a middle one. Thanks. Um, this is a question for Cassie and Usaid. Um, I think you've spoken about the importance of documenting movements and, and the social conditions of, of the time. And I think, I think you're really right with that. You know, I've, I've had this, exactly the same rant about all of the, um, the films from the 80s being locked away in the BFI. Um, and I think we definitely have tools of communication now that mean that we can get things out there. They don't just live on a piece of film and some people can access them. But I wonder in terms of specifically making a film like this, how you walked the tightrope stroke, negotiated stuff around security and safety of the participants in the film. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that isn't depicted in the film, and I've definitely had involvement with filmmakers where I've had to check that stuff's going to get destroyed that isn't the stuff that is going to end up in the final cut, because you may end up with um, footage that 
can put people in trouble with the law. And even if not directly footage that shows people committing offences, obviously those who put their head above the parapet are going to get more attention. You know, the kind of the, the protagonists of, of the film, one very, you know, Arnie definitely sees himself as a leader. I think some of the others are might have a different nuanced definition of being a leader, but are going to be putting their heads above the parapet. So I just wondered how much that was any kind of conversation you, you had, either to kind of negotiate that or even to talk with people about how you want their participation, but what some of the consequences of that could potentially be. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of security, uh, I, I think we definitely took those concerns that you mentioned uh, really to heart because it was really important for us because as Asaid was saying, we see ourselves as activist filmmakers also and there was definitely that allegiance in terms of maintaining their security. Obviously when you're making a film and I think we were very clear from the beginning that this is a film that wasn't just for us, we weren't going to just keep it locked away and like only show it to five people, this is a film that potentially is going to have a wide audience. Uh, I think they understood that and I think one of the main things for us was to kind of explain that and be um, be truthful and honest with them about it. Uh, in terms of the security, we took uh, the strongest measures that we could, uh, really. So when we were recording footage, uh, we made sure that the hard drives that we were keeping it safe on were uh, encrypted. Uh, we kept those in multiple, uh, multiple locations. Uh, we also took a lot of legal advice, and we obviously had lawyers look over the film when it was done, also spoke to them about the implications that various scenes in the film could have uh, with regards to uh, people being prosecuted, for example. And so that was definitely a massive concern for us. And thankfully, I think uh, we were able to shape the film. And, and to be honest, the film, that, the, the film that we had made without legal consultation is, very, is extremely close to the film that you've kind of seen, purely because all of those concerns were kind of baked into the film that we were making anyway. Um, yeah, have you got anything else to add? No, I mean, I, I would add on a more general note. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that's... I just, I just think it's really good to kind of visibilise that stuff mm. that the thinking that you have to do, because mm -hmm. it's really easy for, peop for people to think, oh, yeah, I'm going to take this footage, and, you know, loads of people can make films from shit that they see happening, mm. yeah. but there's a lot of stuff. So I just wanted to kind of bring that mm. to the surface almost yeah. to kind of say, actually, there's knowledge you guys have that would be really useful for other people who are inspired to maybe do something similar, yeah. that there's just stuff that you kind of need to think about. Yeah, uh, and, and I would say, actually, uh, one of the really important things that we, we one of the important <laughs> measures that we took uh, is, is speaking, communicating through secure means as well. Obviously, nothing is 100% secure, but we used an app called Signal, uh, which is uh, end -to -end, which uses end-to-end -end encryption to, to instant message with, with people. Uh, so to, to a certain extent, it does make your communication secure. Uh, Signal also comes with a, um, a voice app uh, called Redphone, which, which means that some of your, if you use the app, uh, your voice communication messages, again, are encrypted. Uh, which keeps it relatively safe from the prying eyes of government. But obviously, um, as we've seen with the uh, uh, investigatory powers bill, and also the fact that we don't necessarily completely know what the technology, what the technological cap capabilities of the government is, it uh, means that we can, can never be sure. Uh, but I think that it is kind of our duty, again, as filmmakers who are making an activist film, to take the steps, um, to take the, the, the most secure steps that we can, really. 
just simply activists mm. and activist filmmakers because mm. there's lots of filmmakers follow around revolutionary movements or revolutionary people but don't necessarily have that consideration because they maybe don't see themselves as also revolutionaries or activists or whatever. Mm. Thank you. Can we pass the mic to the woman in the front? Hi, yes. thank you so much for today. Um, it can't be easy directing a film by t with two people. I was just wondering what your working relationship is and if you had different roles. Well, I'm standing in the middle. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, there's a reason why we're at two ends of the table. <laughs> um, actually, I think, um, well, I personally think it's been really beneficial for me at least. Um, and I'm sure Cassie feels the same, don't you? <laughs> no, it was great, yeah. Um, but I think one of the advantages has been that um, well, it's difficult making a film, number one. Um, but secondly, I think, you know, the subject matter is very personal. It's very close to the things that we believe in and care about. And that's intentional, but it also means that there's a lot of things which we had to grapple with. You know, so we had to grapple with the story. We had to grapple with what was going on in the groups. And I think having a co-director who firstly shared the vision, which is obviously, obviously completely fundamental. If we had differing visions for what we wanted to achieve with this film, that would be very difficult. But I think we came together to make a film about activism that was aiming to inspire people and aiming, it had a very, I think, quite noble intention. And so grappling with these things where we were scared that it might not end up looking in, like, like that, um, you know, having a co-director who shared that vision was, you know, I, I, I don't think, I think it would have been very difficult to do it without that. Um, as for like sort of the practical side, I think we just, you know, you work things out. I think it was fine actually. Um, you know, you just delegate, you take responsibility and, and I think sometimes it may be even something to talk about in relation to the activism. Often when you have a sort of flat, flat structure, one of the problems is that people don't necessarily take on the onus of the work. And so people, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, we're all equal here, so we all take an equal amount of work on, rather, I think there is still a sort of, sometimes an assumption that some people will do more anyway, just because they care more. I think with this project, like, we just knew that we had to do it or no one was going to do it. So in that way, we really just had the responsibility and just did the work. You didn't fight at all? Not really, no. <laughs> uh, not really. I think... Um, I mean, I know some of you are filmmakers. I think the edit was probably the, the, the period of time in which um, working together was mo the most frictitious, is that even a word? Fractious. Fractious. Uh, in the sense that I think, obviously we had the same vision, but in the edit, we're going down to the minutiae. We're talking about choosing what shots we want to put there. We're choosing about what, like which uh, bit of speech we want to put there. And obviously, like there were some shoots that I was on by myself. There were some shoots that Asaid was on by himself. And you're like, man, I spent like two hours doing this thing and this guy wants to take it all down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were things like that, but ultimately, um, as I said, we're saying before, our allegiance is with the story. So all of that kind of falls away. Like when we think and when we discuss which is going to be the best option for this story, for generation revolution, this thing that we're trying to tell, um, all, of that kind, all of those disagreements kind of fall away because actually we do have the same vision and we wanted to make the best film that we can make. I have to add there as well that if you're editing a feature film, you will have an editor. We had two editors. Mm -hmm. And you can't discount like the work that they did in mediating between us. <laughs> uh, question from the front. 
Um, watching the film, it became really clear that there are a lot of questions being asked about identity and how people identify themselves within the activist movement. I kind of wanted to ask how you think we can navigate through that without getting stuck on, on titles and, and being called, like, being part of a certain group and that sort of taking precedence over what people are actually doing in the movement. Question for all of us, sir. Yeah, I think that's a massive question. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know if I have an answer, to be honest. I think that that was uh, a conversation that was ongoing throughout uh, the filmmaking, but it was also a conversation that the activists themselves were having. Uh, there was this, a particularly uh, present conversation around the idea of political blackness um, that was being discussed continually uh, amongst the London Black Revs, amongst our movement, but also amongst ourselves as a filmmaking team. Because, um, again, I think that was a term that was specifically used um, to denote this kind of allyship between communities. So obviously, uh, ethnically black communities uh, and people who were, and communities <coughs> of non-white people, uh, obviously that term had a lot of poignancy in the, in the 70s and the 80s, but now I think it's kind of fallen out of favor. But I think one of the things that I've always been saying is that the language, although I think it's important, I don't think it is always the most important thing, uh, purely because we don't need the language to, to say that we understand that there are some things in our experiences uh, that are similar, but there are also some things that are different. And I don't think that this difference in experience uh, should mean that we don't look at the, at the things that, kind of, um, that we kind of have in common and that we kind of need to fight about together. Because obviously I think one of the big questions that we have is always uh, why have these groups organized along the lines of race? Like why the black revs? Uh, why the black dissidents? Our movement didn't have black in their name, but like obviously they were organizing along the lines of uh, people of color kind of coming together. Um, obviously I think it's important if we're talking about the, this idea of working together, it's important to, to recognize why some people choose to organize around certain things. And I think that that's kind of the basic, I, I, I think it kind of represents uh, your basic understanding of these different systems of oppression uh, that kind of create this world that we all live in. Because I think uh, as for example, a, a man, uh, as a black man, I understand um, why a group like, for example, Sisters Uncut would exist. Uh, why they would need to organize as women um, to, fight, to fight against cuts to domestic violence services, uh, but also to, to bring attention to, to patriarchy in general. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that I believe that Sisters Uncut don't want to work with me. It means that I understand that patriarchy is one piece of this massive puzzle um, that we're all part of, really. Thank you, Kessie. Awesome. Um, anyone else? Um, how do we not get scuppered by identity concerns when we're doing our activism? Does anyone else on the panel want to reflect on that? Sure. I mean, I think that it's um, it's just it's just that, isn't it? It's it's getting all these groups together and all supporting each other and helping in whatever way we can on each other's work and recognizing the things that we want to change that are the same and um, and not not finding those. Uh, those divides that I think most of the time aren't there actually, you know, not going, well, you're a woman, so you're in a woman's group and therefore you don't want to work with me. And, you know, it's just like, well, yeah, your sister's uncut, cool, I'm this group, let's work together, let's do stuff, you know. Well, white privilege, cultural appropriation, I mean, are we doing it? Are we doing what? 
getting beyond, <laughs> getting, beyond um, getting to a point where we're beyond identity so that we can do the activism. Go ahead. I, mean. <laughs> uh, I think people just need to listen to people. I'm keeping this really concise because, you know, you could just blah, blah, blah all the living day about this topic, but I will forgive anyone, no matter how, this is that term du jour, problematic, mm, they are, I will forgive that and I will forgive anyone that if they just sit and listen to how, this is my experience and I'm not saying that you are, because um, we can't help the bodies we're born in and the circumstances we're born in. If you are, if you are white, male, straight and, and middle class, well, that's you, isn't it? You can't help that. But, you know, as long as you're willing to listen and engage with the narratives of other people and not um, try and drown that out with your own or try and compare it to this thing that happened to you because it's probably not comparable, um, that's fine. And I think you can build a sense of unity, for lack of a less flimsy word, off the back of people really listening and engaging with the nuance. Because once you've done that, then you can start to go, okay, cool. I acknowledge the difference, but the difference doesn't have to be division necessarily, but you have to have, you have, to have listened first. I get very annoyed when people don't want to listen. <laughs> I get it's uncomfortable to hear someone talk about something that you, you can't begin to comprehend as an experience, but um, it's really important to, and I have my privileges and I've had those times where I've sat at a table and heard someone talk about this thing and I've been like, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of this, whether I want to be or not, I'm part of this person's oppression um, by virtue of my privilege. But you know, you just, you just sit there and you listen and you're a better person for it more often than not. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my two cents. Good two cents. I mean, I'll, cents? Just, I'll just add that. I think um, Jay, one of, one of the great people we were following, didn't, he, his story's not really in the film, but he does say one thing which really speaks to this, which is so simple that uh, you can't have freedom without empathy. Mm. And it's exactly what you're saying. And he's there amongst a group of young black men listening to women talk about feminism. And I think for some people, seeing that, that scene in the film was really eye-opening because they, are, they have these stereotypes about activism and about what young black people do when it comes to activism or anything, to be honest. And to see these young guys talking about feminism and listening to women's stories and experiences uh, and why and speaking about why feminism was important to them was it's been shocking and I think just showing that was felt felt really empowering thank you um, Ben how are we for time I don't know <laughs> <laughs> five plus nine so we have time for one more question I'm afraid um, Jack at the front if you pass the mic along Thanks, thanks, Edson. Thanks for letting me know about this. It was, it was a very good film, so I enjoyed it. Um, I guess I guess I am speaking as an activist, um, not a black activist, obviously, but somebody who has been involved in anti-racist kind of anti-war movements, so has had some experience with some of the ideas in the film. Um, I guess uh, I just want to make a quick, co brief comment that's also a question in a way. Um, the one thing you know we talked about the kind of at the beginning anyway, talked about the unraveling. Uh, of the groups, and uh, and it's also been touched on a lot in the conversation. Really, I guess my question is: um, Did you um, did you consider? Um, I, I think one of the things that was particularly interesting in the film was following the story of the young young woman who, in the end, wasn't as involved. I can't remember her name, 
Um, but it seemed to get more into her specific ideas about why she was doing it and where she was aiming with it. And I wonder whether with some of the other characters in the film, what I felt sometimes wasn't as clear, and maybe there was a reason for this, was say with Arnie or someone else, was where he was actually coming from. Where, because he clearly had some ideas, and there was a joke at one point about Marxism in a film with somebody else. Um, and there was obviously other ideas that were leaning towards black nationalism. And one thing that wasn't clear to me was where the ideas in the groups had come from. And that seemed to me to be a very important part of why perhaps that the, the groups, the one group anyway, did start to disintegrate because there, there didn't seem to necessarily be that clarity of where these ideas come from and putting it in. And we talked about this kind of sense of tradition and that goes with intergenerational activism. You know, it's learning the lessons from the past and you, you've been talking about how people can learn from this film. But that was something that struck me that there, there might have been an absence, maybe within the groups or I don't something you didn't focus on as much of where the ideas come from, and that also lends into the strategies of how you unite with people and other things. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. That was, that was my question, basically. Um, yeah, I think that's a very valuable and valid question, remarks. Um, why did we focus on Tej? It's partly to do with story. It's partly to do with who is going to give. I think what the way we saw Tej was that she kind of gives maybe like the audience slash the kind of more removed, because of her nature, that she gave a kind of more critical commentary than the others did. Um, when we spoke to her, that was how she responded. She was always questioning. And um, frankly, I think we have to acknowledge that when you put a camera in people's faces, that that's not necessarily the approach that they might take. So a lot of people have a message to deliver rather than a question to ask. And that isn't necessarily useful when you're trying to tell a story. Um, so sure, everybody does have a sort of ideological background, and I can't speak for that personally, but I do think they may not have delivered that in the way that would have answered the questions you have. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of nuance in that. There's a lot in that, to be honest, even to begin to scratch at the surface of revolutionary social socialism, for example one individual's ideology who amongst a, a swathe of other people and then also frankly you know some people don't really know what the name is of the kind of movement or what, or what ideology it is that they're following so Frank I think for a lot of the younger people sure they identified with ideas from Marxism but they also subscribe to intersectionality for example and all these other things because they have a sort of cross-pollination and there isn't really a a name for that. So I think instead, we rather showed it in the actions that they were taking, in the conversations that they were having amongst themselves. So sure, they were joking about Marxism, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the kind of conversation they were always having. You know, they, they weren't always talking about ideology, they, but they were talking about identity, for example. They were really concerned about, you know, not misgendering people and things like that. These are really important things. They're not divorced from ideology but it doesn't come across in the same way. You know, I think it's more of a visual thing. I think it's more of a how people relate to each other. And um, film is a visual medium. So, you know, sometimes talking about revolutionary social socialism isn't going to be the most interesting thing. So there's so many different ways. Sorry for anybody who <laughs> thinks that that is a terrible thing to say. But um, 
yeah, I think it's, it's partly creative, partly story, and partly just we felt this was the best way to convey it, really. Jesse, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that was really good. Okay. <laughs> I thought that one of the issues really was that Arnie wasn't clear and that there, there was a sense that there was a degree of shift which was perhaps unfair, perhaps slightly dishonest. So I think there are a different uh, radical tradition, a militant tradition that perhaps he was privy to, but I think as much as anything, I think it was a breakdown of faith and trust that happened in particular on the march. So I don't really know whether ideological distinctions were really at play there, but it's just that actually clarity of relationship, um, clarity of action and intention was what came through. I wanted to add as well, I think that nobody's asked about violence, well, somebody, you mentioned violence actually, yeah. and that the film doesn't give an answer. And sometimes people do go away from this film thinking that it has given an answer. And that, but it's interesting because it's actually your interpretation of people's, um, you know, what they decided what was right for them. And I think that was what we really wanted to be able to say, was that actually, sure, we don't want to favor Ted as an opinion, but she gives, you know, she gives a convincing argument. But people have gone away and said, actually, you know, I don't think, I still think violence is a really um, important means of affecting change. This film doesn't say that that's not true. It, al it also says that violence can put people at risk. It can harm people. If you're going, if you're going to take, undertake certain measures, if you're going to do direct actions in a certain way, people need to be informed. Um, and I think those are the kind of levels of the conversation that it totally depends on who you are. If you're an, a radical activist already, then hopefully that's the kind of thing you would be considering. If you're not involved in activism already, you may think, well, actually, maybe I want to I wanna just go and hand out packages to homeless people. So I think really it's like the diversity of activism and the mm -hmm. diversity of tactics is what we, you know, is, is the thing you take away from Generation Revolution. Thank you. Final remarks uh, from the panel. Very short, brief. Anything you want to add? I really enjoyed the film. It was great. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to, yeah, I just want to thank these guys. And I just, I think that um, it's just so wonderful to see um, lots of young people. I don't know if I consider myself a young person anymore. All right, thanks, Jack. <laughs> Solidarity. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just it's just nice to see a lot of young people who are really intelligent and have a lot of integrity um, working together. And I think that it's kind of easy to forget that as well, as you know, everybody's got jobs and people are having kids and things like that. And um, yeah, it just it reminded me of that. And uh, yeah, so thank you for that. Uh, Kathleen, you said um, very quickly. What is the journey for the film? Are you coming? Are you going on with your tour? Is it going to be available on DVD? Um, will we see you back in Bristol? Uh, yes to all of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess many of us would like to be able to tell our friends who couldn't make it today where will be the next opportunity they might see mm -hmm. the film. Obviously, if it's a tour, that will depend on what we can organise here, but also in terms of DVD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well. Definitely follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, check out our website. We've actually got resources as well, because I know we were talking about uh, engagement with um, activism from the past and theories from the past. They've, we actually kind of have collated some stuff there. Um, and we'll be back in Bristol, hopefully, in the new year. 
Good. Yeah. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Yusaid. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Vanessa. Can I also um, have a really massive thanks for the Arnold Feeney, who uh, has helped us to organize this event um, and been certainly brilliant in terms of the tech and all the relationships. So thank you to the Arnold Feeney. So I'm here as Come the Revolution. Um, this is probably the last film that we're doing for this year. Uh, we're looking forward to working with our partners, Radical Film Festival, Arnold Feeney, anybody else. <laughs> um, should say on the 8th of December, the uh, Radical... Revolutionary Communist Party are showing the Black Panther documentary, and that's at the Malt House, um, just off Wade Street, I believe, in Old Market area. Um, but also on the 16th, Africa Eye Film Festival will be showing a film called Arbitration. So thank you guys. Uh, we've seen some of you during the year. We're looking forward to seeing you again. I'm Edson, come the revolution, and wonderful to work in partnership with these wonderful filmmakers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>